Well, good morning. It's great to see you here today. Uh, my name is Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover. It's so exciting to be a part of what God is doing throughout the world, isn't it? God is just doing some amazing things. And uh, I know sometimes we think, well, it's hard for us to see God at work. But he is absolutely at work doing amazing, amazing things. Uh, so thanks for joining us, whether you're here in the room or you're checking us out online. I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19. So that's in like the New Testament, as we call it. It's kind of in the last probably like 25% of your Bible if you want to look for John. It's in that area. John chapter 19. So you might have a printed Bible. You might bring it on your phone or your tablet. Um, all of that's totally fine. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'll give you a printed one for free. You can just pop out into the lobby uh, after the service and go by the uh, Welcome Center and be happy to give you one. <clears throat> Today we're starting a new series, and we're going to begin looking at three days that happened 2,000 years ago, very significant days. On a Friday, Jesus died on the cross. On Saturday, Jesus was in the grave. And on Sunday, Jesus came back to life. Three days that changed everything. I was thinking about it. Can you imagine if those three days happened in 2017? I mean, Twitter, the Internet would just, like, blow up, right? I mean, everybody's got a cell phone. They'd be taking pictures of everything. It'd be crazy because um, everybody documents everything now, you know? And imagine the events that we're going to look at in the next three weeks that happened on those three days. Amazing stuff. You know, cameras today, they can go, like, to the deepest parts of the sea or... They can go, like, above a storm or some go into the storm to record things. Uh, cameras can go into outer space. They're just, like, out there. They're going at crazy fast speeds and sending pictures back to us. Cameras can go into these small parts of your body, and they can do surgeries that, like, are camera-assisted. It's just amazing. But there's this one place that no camera can go. And it's into like our spiritual life, into that inner area, the part that's deep within us. And no one can record that. Now here at Discover, our vision statement has four parts to it. Reach, love, imitate, and duplicate. And the next three Sundays are going to be talking, uh, really, they're most connected to the imitate part of our vision statement. And here's what the vision, uh, the imitate part says. Imagine a church that imitates Jesus, seeking real life change through obedience, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and following Christ's example. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus are three very visible things. And when we connect them to this invisible part of our lives, everything changes. Each week we're going to be reading uh, an account of these three days in the book of John. And John was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends. And again, we're going to start today in chapter 19. We'll begin with verse 28. Later, knowing all that was completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head 
and gave up his spirit. Now make no mistake, God is in complete control of everything that is happening right now while Jesus is on the cross. In the verse prior to this, Jesus makes sure that his mother is taken care of by, again, his friend John, who is there with Jesus' mother Mary, just experiencing these tragic, horrific events. In addition, uh, Jesus makes sure that he fulfills specific things in prophecy while he is hanging on the cross, suffering physical and emotional and spiritual pain. In John chapter 1 and in Colossians chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is the creative part of God who made literally everything in the world, which includes the fact that Jesus lovingly formed a tree that would grow and he would be nailed to. God is in complete control of everything that's going on. He's in control on day one when Jesus dies for us. God's in control on day two when Jesus is in the grave. And it seems that God is, is completely absent. Yet, on that day, God is very much at work. And on day three, when Jesus comes back to life, when he is raised from the dead, then we know God, yes, is in control of that day. Jesus is in control here on the cross to the very end. It says, when he knew that everything had been accomplished, he declares, it is finished. And then he decides, I'm going to give my life. No one took his life. As he prophesied, he said, no one's going to take my life from me. I willingly give it. And he gave it at that very moment. So now, Jesus, hanging on the cross, is dead. Let's continue reading in verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given his testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Commentator Carol Stream, speaking of this event, writes, These Romans knew from many previous crucifixions whether a man was dead or alive. There was no question that Jesus was dead when they checked him, so they decided not to break his legs as they had done to the other victims. Piercing his side and seeing the sudden flow of blood and water, indicating that the sack surrounding the heart and the heart itself had been pierced, was further proof of, proof of his death. The, Jewish, or the uh, professional executioners made sure that Jesus was dead. And the, the religious leaders, the Jewish people who had been opposing Jesus, Knowing that he said he was going to rise, they wanted to make sure he was dead. They knew that Jesus needed to die. They, they said, this man has to die. He needs to die. He needs to die. He needs to be dead, and then we'll be done with this. John points out that he personally witnessed 
the death of Jesus. And just like today in a court of law, the, the testimony of an eyewitness is really significant. Without any doubt, Jesus is dead. So Jesus has hung on the cross. He has died. What does that have to do with our lives today? How does that affect what I do this afternoon or on Tuesday of this week? Well, the first thing we need to remember is the reason that Jesus died. He died so that the sin that we have, con- we have committed against God and against other people, that that sin could be forgiven. That was the reason Jesus died on the cross. In Romans 5, 8, and 10, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jesus was not guilty, but he took our guilt, our sin, our shame on himself. And because of that, our relationship with God can be restored. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, you are forgiven. So God forgives us. God loves us. uh, God is able to reconcile, which means we can pretty much do anything we want this afternoon, right? Or on Tuesday. We're all good because we're covered. Well, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 addresses this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we're baptized, we connect directly with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And as it says in verse 2, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, this doesn't mean that Christians are sinless, but it means Christians should sin less and less and less. God's amazing grace isn't available so we can go do whatever we want, so we can just go sin. God's amazing grace is available to transform our hearts and our minds. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This tells us we have the hope of the resurrection. In fact, it says we have already been raised with Christ, and that we are going to experience and appear with him in his glory. Now, that's great news. But don't miss this essential theme that we need to center our hearts and our minds on the things of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, Colossians 2.2. Now, let's be really honest. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to drift from the things of heaven to the things of earth. So what do we do about that? What do we do about it? Well, as Paul continues, God gives us a really good clue of how to deal with this problem. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, we really like to focus on that part about being raised with Christ and being with him and when he appears in glory. I mean, that part is pretty spectacular. But these three words remind us that death comes first. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. This is a hard issue. This is, thing, this is one of those things we just like to kind of gloss over and just move on. But we can't. Because God doesn't. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Jesus chose to be put to death. And when he did that, he brought us back to a relationship with God. And the Bible says that in response to that, in, in, in the imitation of what Jesus has done, we need to let ourselves die to sin, die to this selfishness that's going on in us so that our lives can be everything that they're supposed to be. Paul provides a few examples of things that we should die to, like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. And maybe those aren't the things you struggle with, but he says things like this. In other words, this, may not, this is not an all-inclusive list, but there's something. God's probably talking to you about it right now. He's talking to me. What is it? Well, I know when I was in high school, there was something I, I just struggled with, and I had two sets of vocabulary. I don't say this with any pride. I had my good man vocabulary, my good guy when I was with my parents and, you know, family, and when I was with, um, you know, teachers, people like that, and, and certainly when I was around my church crowd, you know, that was my, my good vocabulary. And then in my, I had my not-so-good vocabulary, the one that my close friends saw. And I, I thought that was pretty cool, you know, that I was Mr. Cool Guy using these words and these ideas that were just so cool and made me impressive, and it was anything but that. In fact, it was the opposite. Because I was damaging my relationship with God. I was damaging my relationship with people. And if I'm really honest, in this group of friends who didn't really know God, I was damaging their opportunity to get to know him. Because they knew I had my church life and then I had my real life. And when they saw that, do you think they thought, wow, I just need to hang out with Jesus because he is just going to transform my life? Yeah, probably not. Sometimes we live two lives, our public one and our private one, which, again, might be better named our authentic one. You and God know what it is that's battling for your soul. And you need to know that there is hope. There is hope. But first, the evil that is eating away at you needs to die needs to die in me too. Let's say that you've been experiencing some serious back pain. And you go to the doctor, and he sends you to a specialist. 
and she does a, a series of tests, and she determines that you have cancer. And a plan is immediately implemented. You aggressively and willingly do everything you can to get rid of the cancer, even though it's hard, costly, and painful. Well, putting an action or a thought or a habit to death is rarely easy. It can be painful. It can be costly. But it's a spiritual cancer, and action needs to take place today. It's going to take some spiritual surgery and some chemo, and you're going to need to change your spiritual diet to bring in things that are healthy for you. But the best time to start is now. Don't delay. Be as aggressive fighting a spiritual cancer as you would a physical one. What habit is keeping you from really living? Put it to death. What practice continues to damage your relationship with your Lord, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your fellow students, your neighbors, your friends? Put it to death. You might be thinking, man, I have tried. I really have. And every time I think this thing is destroyed, it comes back, and it seems like it's stronger the next time. I just can't do this. Well, no, you can't. None of us can. That's why we need God. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the family of God to come around us to encourage us. Hold us accountable. So we, we really encourage everybody here to get with people of the same gender, people who are mature in their faith, and, and let them pray with you. Open your heart. Share what's really going on. Let them help you and encourage you and hold you accountable. And guess what? They need that as well. All of us do. But most of all, we need to put ourselves under the authority and the control of God, of the Holy Spirit. See, God is our most powerful ally and friend. In James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Being really honest, I, I like laughter way more than mourning. I don't know about you. I don't want to grieve, mourn, and wail. I prefer joy to gloom. Grieving and mourning and wailing, those are things that you do when there's a death. Exactly. We need to, to turn around. The Bible calls it repenting and stop walking that direction and turn around and walk toward God to imitate the life of Jesus. Remember, death precedes resurrection. God turns our mourning to laughter. God replaces our gloom with joy. When God is the source, his presence invades us and it radiates from deep within and it positively affects us and everyone around us. But first we have to die. We have to submit to God. And when we put to death whatever is causing so many problems, God takes off 
these old garments that used to identify who we were, used to identify how we walked. And he puts on new clothes. We humble ourselves, and God lifts us up. Returning back to Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, so after all of this, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which bind them together in perfect unity. When we put things to death, it changes everything. Where there used to be judgment, we now put on compassion. Before, we wore an inconsiderate attitude, and now we display kindness. Arrogance used to be our wardrobe, but it's been replaced by humility. Our old person walked around in harshness, in irritability, and negativity. But now God covers us in gentleness and patience. And since we've been covered with God's forgiveness, we are able to demonstrate forgiveness to others, releasing both them and us. And we can love the way we really are meant to love. See, what's wrong has died. And that gives God a chance to birth in us the things that lead to life, that are life. Last fall in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, there was a, a devastating forest fire. Unknown numbers of animals were killed. 2,400 structures were damaged or destroyed. The total financial cost is over 500 million, half a billion dollars. And the death of 14 people who God created in his image is impossible to calculate. However, the fire allowed people to demonstrate the image of God. And the Christian population, as is typically the case, has once, been, once again been on the front lines of assistance. The very day it happened and to this day, one of our new ministry partners helping his hands, is still there on the ground providing hope and help in the name of Jesus. And as devastating as a forest fire can be, in the aftermath, there are some things that can happen that wouldn't have otherwise. Forest fires clear out dead trees and branches and leaves. Some types of plants uh, can only seed in the ground and germinate after the fire. Minerals are returned to the soil. New growth uh, is low to the ground, and it allows animals to come in and have a food source. And so many times, the structures that have been destroyed uh, may have been old and are replaced by something new that may even be better. Now, obviously, don't walk away from here and say, man, Steve told us we should go start some forest fires. This would be awesome. It's going to be a great week, all you pyros out there. <clears throat> Not saying that. I am saying that we should allow the purifying, 
refining fire of God to burn in our hearts so that new life and growth may flourish. When we put things to death, God brings new life in us and through us. Jesus talks about this very idea, connecting his death, and I think connecting our repentance and allowing things to die as well. In John 12, 24, when he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, connecting the death of Jesus and the sacrifice that we make by allowing ourselves to die to ourselves. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In a few minutes, we're going to sing the words to a song by Josh Lavender, Hope in Jesus. All our hope is in our God. We believe he is enough. He calls out life from death, builds strength from brokenness. There is hope in Jesus. No other name we've heard can heal a desperate world. There is hope in Jesus. We have hope, certainty, that God brings life from death. But again, before this new life can flourish, we have to put some things to death. And that's our question as we close today. What behavior, habit, or thought do I need to put to death? This isn't about destroying or harming ourselves or anyone else. This is about destroying the stuff that wants to destroy us. Putting something to death isn't a morbid, self-debasing activity to try to earn God's favor or salvation. We can't do that. This has nothing to do with our salvation. It has everything to do with walking as Jesus walked. God's salvation and favor are freely given by him, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to make us more worthy to receive it. And some of you need to hear this. There's nothing we can do to make us less worthy to receive it. God's favor, God's salvation are gifts given to us. But when we put something to death, even deeper, when we die to ourselves, the new life and experiencing everything that God has for us can happen. Jesus was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice so we could be restored, reconciled to God. He gave his life. And for my relationship and your relationship with God to grow, we, for it to be healthy, for it to be alive, we have to put to death whatever habit or thought or uh, behavior is causing problems. A hundred years ago, a little-known preacher named Oswald Chambers died. 18 years after his death, they compiled some of his sermons and uh, divided them up into daily devotions. And it's one of the best-selling Christian books of all time, been used by countless numbers of people, including many presidents, and it's called My Utmost for His Highest. And in in the daily devotionals, multiple times he talks about death, meaning death to ourselves. 
And on uh, March 8th, he talks about what he calls the relinquished life, which again is surrendering and saying yes to God, dying to self. Let me read uh, from this. Again, it's from March 8th. No one is ever united with Jesus Christ until he is willing to relinquish not only sin, but his whole way of looking at things. To be born from above of the Spirit of God means that we must let go before we lay hold, and in the first stages, it is the relinquishing of all pretense. What our Lord wants us to present to him is not goodness, nor honesty, nor endeavor, but real, solid sin. That is all he can take away from us. And what does he give in exchange for our sin? Real, solid righteousness. But we must relinquish all pretense of being anything, all claim of being worthy of God's consideration. Then the Spirit of God will show us what further there is to relinquish. There will have to be uh, the relinquishing of my claim to my right, to myself, in every phase. Am I willing to relinquish my hold on all I possess, my hold on my affections, and on everything, and to be identified with the death of Jesus Christ? Right now, in this very moment, we are going to respond to God. All of us will. Someone might need to come forward and, and make a public profession of faith for the first time. We can talk about what that means and walking through that. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody. And, and maybe you want to, after the service, find someone to just encourage you and pray with you. We'd love to see that happen. But all of us are going to respond in some way. Either we will choose to put to death the things that are keeping us from real life or we're going to choose to let them live and we will eventually experience suffering and death. So we are going to choose, all of us. And our prayer is that we would wisely choose God's path to put to death the things of this world, to come under the authority of God, and to experience true life and true hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you that the death of Jesus, first of all, means that we can be reconciled to you. There's absolutely nothing we could do to earn or even come close to earning the gift of salvation. We also know that Jesus said to take up our cross and to die daily to ourselves. And Romans tells us that we need to get up on the altar and sacrifice ourselves on a constant basis to be a living sacrifice. That we need to surrender parts of our life that we haven't surrendered before. And through that self-denial, through that death to self, we are going to experience life in ways that are incredible. We're going to see new life, new hope, New things birthed out of this death to self. And we're excited about that, God. So right now, help us, Lord. Help us to surrender. Help us to put to death the things that keep us from you, the things that damage our relationship with you and with other people. Let those die. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.